When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here at the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Very pleased to be joined Right now by Al Oliver, a member of the Pirates' 1971 World Series championship team. And Al, uh, I I usually, this is memory lane, so we kind of go back in the past with everyone. But I like to ask everybody first what it is they're doing now. What are you up to these days, Al? I'm a a life-skilled motivational speaker. You know, a lot of people uh, in sports call me to talk about sports, but... Basically, I'm a motivational people, um, uh, and I've always been one to motivate people, and that's what I do for a living these, these days. And, you know, every now and then I'll mix in some sports stories. Um, a lot of people don't know exactly what I do, but I am a motivational speaker uh, in all aspects of life, you know, trying to make the world a better place to to live in and, and try to make people better people and be able to get along with one another. So that's what I do these days. I love that. That's fantastic. Do you do you deal with older athletes, younger athletes, um, people in the business world? What kinds of what kind of folks do you, do you speak to? All of them. Um, I have no limitations. Uh, you know, I was talking to someone years ago. And they said that, you know, Al, you're probably one of the only people that I know that can talk to anybody on any subject. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, um, like Willie Storger told me back in the 70s that uh, he said, Scoop, you know, you have a gift. God gave you a gift because most people are, are stuck on certain subjects. But I never have been because I've always been an open-minded individual and all that stems from my upbringing, and that's the reason why I'm able to speak about anything. That makes you perfect for what we're going to do. You have the gift of gab, and people tuning in want to hear stories about uh, uh, the great '71 World Series. So this is this is a perfect fit. I I I I'm, I cannot wait to, to hear some of these stories that we're going to get into. 
No problem at all. All right. So, uh, as we do on this podcast, we go back and uh, share memories, favorite stories and memories uh, from various athletes during their time uh, with the Pirates, Steelers, Penguins, and Al won a World Series with the Buccos in 71. It was a tremendous, tremendous team. Now, you guys won the division in 1970, and then you lost in the playoffs to the Cincinnati Reds. So, you enter the 1971 season, spring training and then the season out. What was the expectation for the Pittsburgh Pirates in, in February, March, and April of 1971? Our expectations uh, in Going into 1971, you know, we felt that we could win it all. And I think it all stemmed from the year before of 1970. But to be honest about it, I think it even stems uh, from 1969 when a lot of young players who were called up to the major leagues in order to win in 1970 because most of us have played minor league baseball together. and But after winning uh, the division, in 1970, that kind of primed us for 1971. Uh, position by position, we knew that we were as good as any team in baseball. We got together uh, as a team and, and meaning as people. Uh, a lot of times, players um, may not have, you know, you know, that cohesion with each other. But the one thing that we we had going for us, we we liked each other, we respected each other. And we all knew that we could play. We had a very confident team. We had a great blend of people from all walks of life. And that's what really made our team, is when you have people from all walks of life that pull together for one common cause. And, of course, that common cause is to win. But us winning the World Championship in 71 uh, did not surprise any of us because we felt that we were good enough to do that because of the blend of players and talent that we had. You said something really important. I'm going to kind of fast forward here um, to the to the modern era, Al. I've covered Altoona, the Altoona Curve, the AA franchise, uh, for more than 20 years. I know how important that cohesion is that players can build up coming up through the minor league system. And that's what the Pittsburgh Pirates are hoping for Today, quite frankly, they've made a lot of moves to bring in a lot of young players, and and these guys are coming up through the minor league system today. The expectation for the Pittsburgh Pirates fan is that these young players in a year or two or three can kind of have that cohesion and succeed at the major league level. Going back to your time, and you mentioned uh, guys coming up together, how important was all of that? Because you get to a team that has Willie Stargell and Roberto Clemente already, uh, and those are established stars, but when you come up together as a younger group and you were, I believe, 24 years old in 1971, how important is that process of everybody getting to know each other throughout you know, throughout the process? I think uh, what is very important is the fact that, you know, we already had guys who were already there uh, that could lead us in Roberto and uh, Willie Stargell. And, of course, you know, the rest of us, we almost knew the rest of us, you know, for the minor leagues. But I think our confidence that we had, we were able to blend that with Roberto and with Stargell. Mm-hmm. And that was the key. 
you know, we weren't intimidated, you know, by playing with um, those two guys because of our confidence. And so our confidence just came together as a team. And, you know, just like, you know, we're speaking about uh, the Pirates now. Um, I've always felt that well, what you do, you don't trade your best players. You build teams around your best players. And I think that is what has happened in Pittsburgh from what I've seen. It seems like when they do have good players and maybe the best player, they have a tendency to trade them rather than build the team around them. And that's the way that you win. you got to have the proper leadership um, to bring teams together because a lot of times if you don't have that true leader or leadership, when you go into a losing streak, you don't know how to come out of it if you don't have somebody who can keep the team together. And that's the thing that I've noticed um, about the Pirates over the last several years. Uh, they trade their best players, and I have yet to understand that. That is certainly, Al, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's the, the point of contention, the beef uh, 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 from Pirates fans for, for many years because the guys have moved on. The finances in baseball are uh, as such that you know, small market Pirates, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, make excuses at all. That does it. Would it surprise you at all to know that that's what the fans are really, really frustrated about because exactly what you said, your era, you're able to keep Willie Stargell or Roberto Clemente around uh, for a long time. That it's just that's just not the way things are now. Does it does it make sense to you that the fans would have a great great deal of frustration over that aspect of it? Oh, I don't blame them because believe me, I I don't feel that any team on the major league level is broke. You know, I think what happens is maybe they just don't want to spend the money to bring in a top-notch player who possibly can uh, make a difference. Because I'm a firm believer in that um, when you have the money, you know, you go out there and and spend it. And it's unfortunate that the only thing you hear about these days is money. Um, Because doing a lockout, you know, I was sitting back thinking, I said, well, these teams are talking about a cap. Um, I'm not real big on, uh, say, teams like Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, um, other the, the smaller market teams. If they got the right blend of players, because once you get to the major league level, you should be able to play. And so um, that that's been proven. But I really, I really believe that that is what has to happen: is you got to spend money in order to escalate um, that team. No, I don't fault the uh, Pirate fans at all because, after all, you know, the fans come to see a good product. And, you know, like I, I tell my grandsons, you know, it's, it's sad that if you have a favorite player and all of a sudden you go buy a jersey and or a jacket or a shirt, and then the next thing you know, that player is traded. And all this comes down to marketing. 
that that's very, very important. If you got a good, a great player, market that player. Because these are the kind of players that people want to see. And so what it comes down to is that you got to spend money. And I don't believe, I could be wrong, that major teams are broke. It just comes down to if they want to spend money. And I can honestly say um, <laughs> I would never thought the Pirates would be in, in this situation, you know, with the history that they've had down through the years. At least if they didn't win, they were in contention. So I can't fault uh, the fans at all. Al Oliver, uh, really, you you just won over a lot of support from uh, current Pirates fans saying all of that because that's exactly how everybody feels nowadays. I want to transition back to 71 again because you had Willie Stargell, you had Roberto Clemente. And to kind of draw a parallel, when these young players get to the major leagues, they need those veteran leaders to help them, and then you just keep the ball rolling that way. And that's one thing that the Pirates have kind of lacked. Uh, they had it with Andrew McCutcheon when he was there. But guys, when, when guys come up through the minor leagues and they get to Pittsburgh, they need that leadership. How good were the leaders that you had in Willie Stargell and Roberto Clemente? Did, were, did they take the time to talk to the young players? Did, were they quiet, uh, soft-spoken? Did they talk to a lot of people, lead by example? What was it like playing alongside those two? Well, first of all, um, they only approached us when they thought that we needed it. Okay. And when you look back at our 71 and especially our 72 Pirate team, if you look at our personalities, we were already Major League ready. We didn't need too much leadership because basically we got our leadership from our home, the, the way that we were raised. And so once we got to the big league, we could play. We were ready to play with anybody at that point. And it, even if we didn't think um, uh, we were at that point, the fact of the matter is that we knew eventually that we would get to that point. But when you look at our players in 71 and 72, it wasn't a player that was on that field that couldn't play and was not ready to play. And that made it so much easier. And if you look at the playoffs in 1971, we were called the Baby Bucks. And each one of those games in the playoffs, it was pretty much the Baby Bucks who were getting key hits in those games against San Francisco. But once we got to the World Series, then that's when the veterans kind of took over. Although we gave them a little help, they didn't need much help. You know, Roberto didn't need much help in 1971. But the fact of the matter is, it was the baby bucks, along with the veterans, that got us all the way. So everybody on that team made a contribution in one way or the other. And that was the reason why we were able to win, because we knew that Roberto was not going to let us lose. And it's a great feeling to have a leader like that who was one of the greatest players who ever played the game. And I was just so glad for him to be able to show the world how great a player that he really was. What did it mean? And we're going to talk about uh, the Pirates season and uh, um, the playoff run and everything uh, all together. 
You mentioned Roberto. What do you think it meant? Roberto was 36 at the time. Um, what did it mean to him to be able to... He'd been a star for a long time, um, but this was his a huge coming out party for him to win the World Series. What, what did that mean to him personally, do you think? And what did that mean to his legacy? Well, I, I definitely know what it meant to him. Um although he didn't say it. But I know deep down he was saying, I tried to tell you people how good I was. But for some reason, they didn't really give him that recognition and publicity that he felt that he deserved, maybe like a Willie Mays or or maybe a Hank Aaron. And so he had an opportunity to prove to all that he could play with those guys. And uh, as far as his legacy is concerned, it, it meant a lot. Only because it seems like when I look back at film, it seemed like it was almost a one-man show. Yeah. <laughs> as for you know, as far as offense, as far as defense, uh, you know, I you take a guy like Sangin, who had a, a great World Series, but it was just the fact that you know he was determined to prove on center stage, how great he really was. And I think that really made his legacy. Uh, he finally showed people that he could play baseball as well as anybody else in the major leagues at that time. All right. So the Pirates go 97 and 65 in 1971, first place in the NL East defeated the Giants three games to one in the NL Championship Series, faced the Baltimore Orioles that goes to seven games. This was a terrific team managed by Danny Murtaugh. Here's here's the lineup uh, for those who uh, maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Manny Sanguian, Bob Robertson, Dave Cash, Gene Alley, Richie Hebner, Willie Stargell, Al Oliver, Roberto Clemente. Just hearing those names, I mean, you're talking about – all of those guys have a huge piece of history with the Pittsburgh Pirates pitching staff: Steve El- uh, Steve Blass, Doc Ellis, Bob Johnson, uh, Luke Walker, Bob Moose, Bruce Keeson. Uh, to, to hear those names, Al, <laughs> I mean, is it any surprise looking back of how good that team was? No, only because I was on that team. Now, if if I would have been on an opposing team, maybe I wouldn't have thought as highly, uh, especially of our pitching staff. We had a good pitching staff. And what a lot of people don't uh, remember was that year, Doc Ellis had won 19 games. And and so his arm was bothered him, so he, he was no factor in our 1971 uh, series. But he was during the season. But then we had guys to fill in like a Bob Johnson, who pitched extremely well for us. It seems like we were always able, if a player was hurt, the player that took his spot, you know, took up the slack. And when we look back at our 71 team, you can't help but think of guys like Gene Klein, who who played some center field. Uh, You look at Jose Pagan, who played some third base. Those guys filled in for myself and, and Richie Hebner, and they did the job, you know. And uh, the amazing thing was that 
Jose Pagan, if I'm not mistaken, he drove in the winning run in the 1971 World Series. And that that's how good we were. We picked up each other. Uh, you know, we had a team of guys who wanted to play every day, but that wasn't going to happen. But we got our share of playing time, knowing that whoever was in our place was going to do a job, and we would just sit on the bench and cheer for that guy. Because if he did well, that just made our team so much better. But um, it was a great team to be on. Steve Blass, in my opinion, probably pitched one of the best World Series games in history. But not too many people talk about Steve Blass's game when they do the highlights. You know, they might talk of other good and great pitchers who had uh, great games, but they very seldom talk about the game that Steve Blass had. How about this part, Al? He finished the game. Uh, that would never, ever ever, ever happen nowadays. Uh, starting pitchers are expected to go six, maybe seven innings. They get 100 pitches. When you look back on Steve Blass finishing the game compared to the way baseball is today, what, what do you make of that difference? I have a tough time with it. I, that, that's why I really don't watch a lot of baseball. Uh, you know, a guy might pitch three or four innings and he comes out. And if I'm not mistaken... You know, if your team is winning, uh, the pitcher may not get credit because he didn't go five innings. Um, I told someone last week, I said, you know, in order to be a pitching coach these days, you got to be in great shape because <laughs> that's how often they, they go <laughs> to the mound to change pitchers. They're getting, and, you they're, know, they're getting uh, a lot of steps in there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, baseball has changed so many rules, which I really don't get. You know, baseball was fine as it was. Baseball didn't need to make no changes. You know, after a certain amount of innings, you got a runner on second base. And it's like starting all over. And if you took our 71 or 72 team and placed a guy on second base with no outs, and if we scored, we win. Well, the contact that we made as, as hitters we would probably score eight or nine out of ten times because that was the type of hitting that we had. Um, and you're right, the shortness of the pitching, uh, the rule changes, um, it's hard for me to watch. You know, Al, um, I hate to interrupt. I talk with a number of former major leaguers, um, veterans that played from past eras. A lot of them say that, that – they don't watch as much anymore. They're they're frustrated by the finances of it. They're frustrated by the rules changes, the way the game is played so differently. Um, why do you think that is? And again, I'm not trying to speak for every former player. A lot of former players probably may, maybe love watching games still. But a lot of former players will echo what you said, Al, that they just don't watch it as much. Why do you think that is? Well, number one, I don't mind, you know, the money that the players make. I mean, if you can get $30 million a year, that's fine. The only problem that I might have are the rule changes. Um, you know, it seems like every time you look around, the umpires are going over toward the third baseline, uh, calling New York or calling someone to try to get this play right. And I have no problem with, uh, 
replay. But I really believe that replay should really come into play in all seriousness in postseason and let baseball be the way it used to be by the human being. Mm. You know, you don't need to take up all that time. And to try to speed the game up by the pitcher, um, speeding his pitches up, in which it should be that way, there's no need of a pitcher walking around the mound because what is he thinking about? He already knows what pitches he has. And then a hitter stepping out of the batter's box and walking around the batter's box, and what is he thinking about? Either you can hit or you can't hit. And so that's the part that slows the game up as well. So I would hope somewhere along the way that they, they change it back, which I doubt it. But um, they need to play baseball the way it's always been played. You know, money-wise, I know some former players have a problem with players making a lot of money. But I never was a money person. Just put me in the lineup. I will perform for you. And then at the end of the season, hopefully, I get what I earn. Al, you had a long career in the major leagues. Very good hitter. A lot of individual success. 71 was your only World Series appearance. That, that is correct, right? That's correct. And you were 24 years, you know, you were 24 at the time. Did part of you think, I'll get back here. We'll, we'll, I'll do this again, either with the Pirates or maybe somebody else, because you did play uh, for some other teams later on. Um, is, it, does, is it surprising to you that that was your only World Series appearance? It was, because... You know, throughout my career, I, I played with good teams. Uh, if they didn't win, they were in contention. But at that age, I would have never thought that would have been my um, only World Series. You know, I was very fortunate to have played in in six divisional um, championships, but uh, I would have never thought that would have been the only one. I came close, of course, of going back to World Series, like in 72, um, uh, my last year in 85 with Toronto, uh, in Texas, we had great players and good players. Uh, but you know, of course, Kansas city was there. So that stopped that in Montreal in 82, we had an all-star team, but St. Louis beat us out. And so it just wasn't in, in the cars for me. And just like you said, what I've ever thought that at 24 and in 1971, that would have been my last World Series. But one thing about it, you know, I did enjoy, you know, playing the game. It was always fun to go to the ballpark knowing that you had a chance of winning. And that makes a difference because to go to the ballpark, you know, not knowing if you had a chance of winning would have been very boring for me. What was your personal favorite memory of the 71 series. Obviously, you guys won, and that's fantastic, and you got to see Roberto uh, succeed. But for you personally, what's one thing you always cherish from that series? Outside of seeing Roberto do his thing, 
the three-run homer that I hit against the San Francisco Giants. I remember committee was on second. They walked Stargell to get to me. And on the very first pitch, I had a three-run homer. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much cemented us going to the World Series. Because Richie Hebner, another young buck, had hit a home run to put us up. One run. So from a personal standpoint, that three-run homer that I hit against the Giants to put us into the World Series was my biggest hit of my career. And what a career it was, Al. Uh, a three oh three. I, I just want to go over these numbers for people who are not uh, overly familiar with how terrific of a hitter Al Oliver was. A three oh three career batting average in Major League Baseball. Al, um, I, I, I coach 10 and under kids, and I tell all my kids at the beginning of uh, each season, if you succeed 30% of the time in this game, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. I try to use that as an uh, so that they understand how difficult it is to hit a baseball. Al Oliver uh-huh. succeeded 30% of the time, 2,743 hits, won the batting title in uh, 1982, a 303 career batting average, just a fantastic hitter. Al, the Hall of Fame never called you. And like I said, I tell my 10-year-old kids, if you hit 300 in the major leagues, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. Where do you stand after all this time on the Hall of Fame discussion? I don't feel that I'm going. But everybody else tells me I am. That's where I stand. It's just at, at this point, it's not that important to me anymore. Do you, it, it's been too. It, it's been too long. Is there any? Do you, do you still maybe hold any any sliver of hope that a veterans committee at some point would look at a three hundred three batting average during that era, uh, and and maybe at some point, or or have you made peace that it's it's probably just not going to happen? I have made peace. You know, I've moved on. Uh, with my life, and I know I have this friend of mine that lives in Pittsburgh. He said, you know, as many times as he was traded, as many times you have been asked to go from position to position, but more importantly, um, the type of person uh, that I was and, and still am today, uh, all those things obviously has been overlooked which is fine with me because it's been like, like that pretty much throughout my life. Um, a lot of times you don't get what you think you deserve. But the way I was raised, uh, I don't have any anger or any bitterness or hatred toward anyone because I think two things that are very important as far as I'm concerned, and that's the reason why I'm able to travel and do motivational speaking, is the fact that I, I know what I've done, but most importantly, I know who I am. And if you can take those two, then you're in pretty good shape. Al, there are a lot of longtime Pirates fans who believe you should be in. Would you mind if I ask you 
personally, do you think you should be in the Hall of Fame? I'm not going to answer that question. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why. I am not a self-promoter. I never have been. I'm a very positive. I'm a very confident individual. And just like my son Aaron, tells me, he said, Dad, you know, it's too bad that you never had anybody that could market you. Because if someone would have marketed you and people would have known what kind of person you are more than anything else and the way that you would speak, things would have been different. But because you're laid back and and, and you feel good about yourself, you know, um, that's hurt you with the lack of recognition and publicity. So I would never say whether I belong or don't belong uh, because people have a tendency to take people uh, the wrong way, especially when they're confident individuals. And I would never say if I belong or, or not belong because somebody somewhere would think wrongly of people who are confident. I mean, not only Al Oliver, but people in general. So um, I'm satisfied. And I always joke with people. I said, if something would happen one day that they call on me, <laughs> as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned, just make sure outside the door, have a telephone ready to call 911. <laughs> 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 oh, that is fantastic. Oh, my goodness. I, I, wasn't ex- I was wondering where you were going with that. Uh, 303 lifetime batting average. Now, there's one more thing I, I do want to ask you about, and that is uh, Roberto Clemente's death. Um, you were still a young man. Um, do you recall where you were, what your reaction was when you found out, how you found out? Without question, it was the saddest day of my life. I had lost a mother when I was 11. I lost a dad the same day I found out that I was called to the major leagues. I left my dad's funeral. I was playing in Columbus that year, which was our triple A team. And I had to drive back to Portsmouth, Ohio to make funeral arrangements for my dad. After the funeral, I had to drive to Pittsburgh to become a major leaguer. And I went through all those things okay. But when I got the call from Willie Stargell early that morning, and he told me that a plane had gone down in San Juan, and Roberto supposedly was to have been on board. That shook me because we had such a great rapport, he and I. For the same reason, ironically, the reason why we got along so well together was the fact that if you followed his career very closely, when he first came up, they knocked him. They thought he was cocky. But he was just a confident individual. He was very self-assuring. And they had never met anybody like that. 
but they were wrong. He saw that in me. He saw himself in me. And that's the reason why we were able to sit down and talk. And it hurt me because of the relationship that we had. Because he was a great humanitarian throughout his career. But no one ever talked about that. And then all of a sudden, when the plane went down, he all of a sudden, to most people, became a great humanitarian. It was almost unfair to the fans because a lot of fans didn't know what kind of individual he really was. He was the real deal. He was for real. Uh, he would go to hospitals without the press knowing. Like some people are very, um, I guess, self-promoting with the news media there. But it was the saddest day and time of my life, especially in the major leagues. And what made it worse was opening day of 1973. It wasn't a dry in that stadium where they were retiring his number. His family was there. It was a sad day. If they would have called that game that day, that would have been fine with us as players. But one thing that I'm so proud of and glad of, that not only was he a friend, but he left this world doing what he always did, and that was helping people become better people. Al said earlier he's a motivational speaker. I'm, I'm fighting back the tears here. Uh, Al's got the gift of gab. Uh, great stories. I cannot thank you enough for sharing all these. I did want to ask you, lastly, about your World Series ring from 1971. Uh, do, do you wear it? Do you have it? Do you show it to people? How, uh, how, just how proud are you of that World Series championship? That was it. And you know what? I had stopped wearing it um, maybe about a year or so ago. You know, I was playing racquetball, and, you know, I you know, didn't wear the ring that often. And this one young lady um, that worked at Shawnee State University was talking to my daughter, and she said, I heard your dad played on the World Series um, team. And so I got the word that she wanted to see the ring. Mm -hmm. And this was just three weeks ago. So now I wear my rings now. Okay. <laughs> um, when I go to various events, you know, uh, people want to see a World Series ring. And it's the only one that I had. And thanks to Roberto Clemente and my teammates, I'm just glad to be a part of Pittsburgh. And of the Pirates. As you know, it was called Pittsburgh Someplace Special. It was a city of champions. And we had a lot of good people and a lot of champions in that city. That was the place to be, Pittsburgh, in the 70s. Awesome. Great stories, Al. Cannot thank you enough for taking the time to share. 
We really, really appreciate it. Uh, that's exactly what this podcast is about. It's called Memory Lane, and those are some uh, tremendous, tremendous memories. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, you're welcome.